Father, we thank you for being gathered here. Thank you for Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for our sins and rose again victorious. And as we read this morning your word of his encounter, him, his disciples, the Pharisees and scribes, I pray that you would speak to us freely, not only as Savior, but as Lord, Lord of your children. We invite you to do what you wish in our hearts and help us to follow in the Spirit in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. morning. Palm Sunday, one of the first things that comes to my mind is a mixed city. The city of Jerusalem a city where on Palm Sunday we hear folks shouting out, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna! But the same city where less than a week later we hear the shouts of many saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! I, I see a mixed city on Palm Sunday. It got me thinking this week about mixed hearts particularly my own mixed heart. God has been using this passage to do surgery on my heart this week. And it's not necessarily convenient because we have a picnic today. And that's the Sunday where you want kind of a rah-rah message, right? <laughs> but God does not always work according to our schedules and our convenience. And since he was working surgery on my heart, I'm going to pass it on to all you all so, so we can share in it together. I don't want to do this alone. I, I think about God's Word. Think about Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Sometimes God through His Spirit wants to do surgery on our hearts. And I think about surgery, most of us put surgery off, right? Because we don't like the idea of surgery. We've got several neighbors and friends over the past couple of years who had painful knees for, for years. And folks would tell them, you should get a knee replacement. I don't want to go under the knife. But then you know what? After they finally did within a week or two, you know what they say? They say, I wish I had done that earlier. I feel so much, so much better. Why? Because a, a loving surgeon uses the scalpel not for our harm, but for our good. Our loving Father uses His Word in surgery for our good and His glory. I think of another friend who, whose heartbeat had slowed down to under 30 at one point, was fatigued and tired, and, and finally went in for help and got a pacemaker put in. And, and when he came out after the pacemaker, our friend who was 80 years old said, I, I feel like a new man. I feel 15 years younger, which means I feel like I'm 65 now. <laughs> the, the, the operation helped him and and I pray this morning that this operation that, that God was doing on my heart and I want to share with you guys would be for God's glory first and foremost. And then secondly, for greater joy 
as we follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I, I share that because often when we get to these passages about the, the Pharisees and scribes, like Mark 7, 1 says, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, we are very quick to jump on these guys. And often rightly so, because they, they were in charge of guarding God's law and they went overboard. They, they not only guarded God's law, they, they distorted it because they added to it and made their own traditions on par with God's law and sometimes even more important than God's law. So we rightly speak against them as Jesus did. We are watching a, a movie about the Gospel of Mark on Amazon Prime. This is called The Gospel of Mark. It's word for word. And one of the things I was sharing with Carolyn last night is I love that one because it shows Jesus with a little fire in his eyes when he talks to the Pharisees. Not, not in this namby-pamby tone of voice that, that we often get through some of the movies about Jesus. He had a little righteous anger about what they were doing to his people. So we often jump on them, and rightfully so, but what I was convicted by this week is that sometimes those of us who've been walking with Jesus in the church for a period can inadvertently slip into this, some of the same traps that they did. And I, I wrestled through four questions this week that I'm going to bring to you. And after each question, as, after I introduce it and talk about it a little bit, we are going to have four brief seasons of prayer between you and the Father where we take these prayers to the Lord and ask the Father to speak to our hearts. Is there any surgery you want to do in my life this morning, Father? So here's the first question. Am I missing the majestic in my focus on the minutiae? We're going to wait on these Stetson until the prayer time, please. I don't want them to get distracted with those yet. Let's pull that down for a moment. Thank you. Am I missing the majestic in my focus on the minutiae? Watch this. Mark 7, 1. When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now I know from my house with Carolyn and, and when the grandmas are in town too, how important hand washing can be at dinner time, right? I know that. I know all the, the things. Like I, I've heard them multiple times. The kids aren't in the bathroom very long. The water's not on very long. That water wasn't on very long. Can I smell your hands? Does it smell like soap? Right? Anybody use that? That's good, okay? It's good to wash your hands before you're, you eat for, for hygiene, okay? That's, that is a, a good thing. These Pharisees and scribes were not worried about hygiene. They were worried about ceremonial defilement. 
question is, was this hand washing for all the people anywhere in the Old Testament? And the answer I came to from scholar after scholar was no. What the Pharisees and scribes had done was taken a ceremony for the priests where they were to wash going in the temple and they had taken the liberty to expand that requirement to everyone in the population. Especially if you went to the market where there might have been Gentiles and you could have brushed up against them or brought, brought food from them. You better get home and do that washing. And they made moms and grandmas look like nothing because the scholars tell us they would legislate the position of the hands and how much water you used, the direction you poured the water. It was very intense. In the Mishnah, which is formulated about 200 A.D., it's where they took their oral tradition that they added to God's law and finally wrote it down. There were 30 chapters on cleansing vessels and pots alone. 30 chapters. When I read that, I'm like, that makes Leviticus seem like Cliff's Notes. <laughs> right? 30 chapters they added to God's law. And what, what hits me about it, when I think about this question, am I missing the majestic in my focus on the minutiae, they had good intentions for all this stuff. The Pharisees knew that God's people had gone into exile for their sin, and they did not want that to happen again. They wanted to put a guard against that. So they said, hey, let's not just follow the law. Let's put a fence around it. Where they got into trouble is when their oral tradition became on par or higher than God's word. They became so focused on the minutiae that they missed the majestic. Why do I say that? Here they are, so worried about Jesus' disciples not pouring a little water on their hands. What did they miss? Think about all that just happened in the last few weeks that we've looked at in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus fed a, a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children with one little boy's lunch. And all they can think about is hand washing. He had walked on the water and then went to Gennesaret and healed all the folks that, that came just as they touched his robe. But all they can see is his disciples did not wash their hands. And this was sadly true of many of them throughout Jesus' whole career. John 5, 37, Jesus said it this way to them, The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His Word abiding in you. For you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They added to it with all their minutiae, but they missed the wonder of who Jesus is. They missed worshiping Him. They missed surrendering Him to in faith and obedience. As I thought about us, as we lead into our first prayer time, I wanted to ask the question for us. Am I missing the majestic for the minutiae? Because sometimes, what do we do? We, we turn our walk with God into a, a cold exterior list of do's and don'ts. And we forget all about the majesty and wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ who we are to be following in faith. The relationship with Him. 
So I want to lead you into this time of prayer. We're going to put it up here and then Aaron's going to play for a little bit. Here are some questions to help you as you talk with the Father. Am I missing the majestic? Am I focused on the minutia? Father, help my desire for obedience be more than nearsighted, naggy, nitpicking. Help me lift my eyes of faith to You, Father. Help me walk by faith with You in awe of who You are. Help me grow in my wonder of Jesus and dependence on the Spirit within. May my obedience flow out of worship that is in spirit and in truth. Now's your time with the Father. The second question that, that God put on my heart this week to wrestle through, and I invite you into as well, is am I an actor putting on a show to impress the people around me? But altogether something different on the inside. Verse 6, he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. He, he called them hypocrites. And often when we hear that word, our minds go right to heinous sin, like an affair or something in the life of a Christian, correct? But the thing about hypocrisy is it's often much more subtle than that. The word hypocrite was the word for a play actor. The, the Greek play actors, that was the Greek word for them. They, they put a mask on and played a role as someone who they were not. 
We know this from the movies we watch, right? If, if you're taking a vacation to California and you happen to see Mel Gibson walking down the street, you're not going to walk up and say, William Wallace, how is the Scottish Revolution going? Right? Why? Because you know that's Mel Gibson. He was playing a role. He was not really William Wallace. Hopefully, if you're walking in California and you see Jim Caviezel, you're not going to fall down on your face and worship and say, thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my sins. Why? Because you know Jim Caviezel is an actor. He is not Jesus. He was playing someone who he was not. That is what a hypocrite is. And that's what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees. You you speak well, and likely many of the people in the land of Israel, if if you were to ask them, who are the people in the land who really love the Lord? They would point to the Pharisees, those guys. Oh, if I could only be like them. But Jesus said, you're actors. You're just acting a part. You, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And we talked about the example of actors in Hollywood, but the thing about spiritual hypocrisy is it's not always easily identifiable by other humans. But God knows. God knows. When when Samuel went to the house of Jesse looking for God's next king, and he looked at one of David's brothers, you remember 1 Samuel 16.7, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the question God's been putting on my heart, is there any place in my life where I am an actor putting on a show, but inside I I don't love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can do all these things that look great. We can come to Sunday service. We can go to prayer meetings. We can go out there and serve people in the community. But God, God knows what's going on in here. Is it real or is it a show? So I want to invite you in to that question. Prayer with the Father. Am I an actor? Put it on show. Father, show me my masks. Show me where I strive to appear holy on the outside, but my heart is far from you. Help me in the power of the Spirit to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray.
Hey, the, the third of the four questions that God was working through my heart this week is, is there any place I'm putting traditions of men above the commandments of God? Verse 7, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He said that. The Pharisees and scribes. And there is no doubt that many of these men held their oral law above the Old Testament. You say, how do we know that? Well, A, because of some of the things we see in Scripture, but B, there was a rabbi in history named Rabbi Eliezer who said this, He who expounds the Scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. Would you see something in the Bible that goes against the traditions? You had better not speak against it or you have no share in the world to come. Written elsewhere, it's a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. Some of these men had certainly elevated their own oral tradition above what we now know as the Old Testament. And as I mentioned, we are quick to jump on that because we know that's wrong. But what's hitting me this week is what about us? Is there any place where we put the words of men or traditions of men above what we read in God's inspired Word. As I formulated this in my heart and mind, I thought about it like this. If, if you follow Don Lemon more closely than you follow David, in the Psalms you might be headed for trouble. If you follow Rush Limbaugh more closely than you follow Romans, you're headed for trouble. If you know Martin Luther better than you know the Gospel of Mark, you're headed for trouble. If you follow John Wesley more closely than you follow Jesus, you're headed for trouble. And let me bring this to the local church. If you can more readily share a story Scott told on Sunday than Scripture, you could be headed for trouble. This is the the Word of God. And this needs to be held high and far above the words of any mere man. And this is where I want to lead us into a time of prayer. Am I putting traditions of men above the commandments of God? Father, help me honor Your Word far and above the words of any mere human. Church father, author, talk show host, media personality, pastor, podcaster, mentor, Etc. You fill in your own. If I hunger for their words more than yours, forgive my idolatry. If I follow their words when they disagree with yours, forgive my disobedience. When they honor your word, help me agree. When they veer away, help me cling to the Bible instead. Increase my hunger for your living word above all others. Let's pray.
earlier we referred to the heart of the law when it comes to loving God. You remember we talked when Jesus summarized it, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does anybody remember the second commandment that is like it? Yes, love your neighbor as yourself. Those together form the, the heart of God's law. The, the last question here, am I failing to love my neighbor as myself in the name of religion? Now, we hear the word neighbor, we think of that person that lives next door. Biblically, when you go to the Good Samaritan, we know the real question is, am I a good neighbor to whoever crosses my path in need? Whether they're in need of the gospel, physical help, etc., right? Am I a good neighbor? If I love my neighbor as myself, it's anyone who, who crosses my path. In this specific instance, we're going to talk about the love that should be had for father and mother. Verse 9, he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. It was in the Old Testament law. You honor your father and mother. And in Jewish culture, that included financial help in time of need, included physical help as they aged. Honor your father and mother. Then he looks at them and he says, But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Corbin, by itself, is a beautiful idea. This, these finances, this animal, this possession, this is devoted to God. What they had done is twisted in a beautiful idea and used it to assault the heart of God. What was going on here was someone who had parents in need could go to the scribes and elders and, and claim this part of his wealth or finances as Corbin. It's devoted to God which meant he could no longer use that to help his mother and father in need, violating directly the heart of the law of God. They were twisting things in on themselves and distorting them, violating God's heart. So this situation alone, just focus on the father and mother thing. I want to tell you, if you've got a father and mother in need and you're giving much to the church, and you're not currently helping them because of that, you may need to reevaluate your budget. Pray to the Father and seek Him out. Make sure you honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Mother, bigger picture. Let's go back to neighbors of all kinds. If any part of your religion causes you to be unloving towards your neighbor, that part of your religion needs to go. It needs to go. I'm not talking about love to the exclusion of truth. Those go together biblically. What I'm talking about is truth or our twisted version of truth to the exclusion of love. If that is any part of your life, Jesus says, get it out. Jesus was the perfect balance of truth 
and grace. I want to lead us into a time of prayer on this one. Am I failing to love my neighbor as myself in the name of religion? Father, show me any way I've twisted my walk with You into justification to be neglectful or unloving to someone in my thoughts, words, or actions. Show me any relationship where I need to repent and show Your love again. Help me extend Your love and mercy toward me to all You place in my path. Let's pray. As we close, I just want to say if God's doing surgery in your heart like He is and has been doing in mine this week, I want to remind you of something. If you're a believer in Christ, remember that the Holy Spirit does not convict us to lead us to condemnation. God is for us, not against us. And He's faithful as we grow. If, you, if He put His finger on an area where you need to grow today, confess it, lay it down. Hey, Father, thank You for Your faithfulness to me and help me to repent and, and grow in this area. And here's a promise I love. God's faithfulness in the lives of His children. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, this surgeon is a, a loving Heavenly Father. He wants to bring more glory to Himself and for His kingdom and and more good in our own lives. Just remember who He is. Lastly, if you're here and you've never come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, you've, you've heard His Word and said, 
I'm drawn to this Savior who spoke against such lifeless religion and came to bring true love for the Lord and relationship with Him. That offer is here. That's what this season reminds us all about. This Friday is Good Friday. Why call a man dying on a cross good? Because that man was the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And next Sunday, we, we remember the resurrection that He overcame death, sin, and Satan to set us free. Today, He calls you to invite Him to be your Savior, your Lord. Have you done that? Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the, the boldness of Jesus. The Word of God, as He speaks, it is the Word of God because He is God. Thank You for His boldness to confront lifeless legalism and religion that we might set free into what You are really after, relationship with You, relationship of love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving those around us as ourselves. Help us in the power of Your Spirit to, to follow You in that call. Lord, even as we take our offering this morning, I pray that You'd help us as a church to use it to that end. To, to share the message of hope with a lost world and to, to grow disciples of Jesus who know Your Word, love You, and walk with You. In Jesus' name, Amen.